Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've begun a new year, and I know for most of you, if not all of you, at least one person has offered you a happy new year. If nowhere else, at least from the television. And uh, for, for most of us, if not all of us, the new year has begun in a mixed way. Uh, as Nathan has already mentioned, because of the loss of our dearly loved Martha. And so many of us are struggling with uh, Martha having left us because not only that we loved her so much, but because our, our world, our life, is in a bit of an upheaval. She was so much a part of our lives, the life of the church. I feel like I have a personal loss as well as a loss on our staff and how much she was a part of the staff and a part of the ministry here. I just said to both Steve and Nathan over the past few days, you know, we've had her scheduled to preach in January, and now we're going to have to go back and look at the calendar. And she was doing the Wednesday service and what that's going to mean, and just kind of looking at our lives and our situation and, and what that's going to mean to us and just dealing with our own grief in the process. And it's a hard time. But the fact that the first opportunity I have to preach after losing Martha, is on this day when we're thinking about Epiphany. It's not quite Epiphany, but the reading lends itself to Epiphany in that it's focused on the wise men. And one of the aspects of who Martha was to us and was in her life and was in our ministry is that Martha was a wise woman, if you understand biblical wisdom. As I spoke to Martha that last week, she wanted to so much be a part of our community, in part because she was scheduled to preach last Sunday. I don't know if you knew that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's so much of a shock to me, to us. I talked to her last Wednesday night, the day before Christmas Eve. She wanted to celebrate here at the 8 o'clock service, and she wasn't feeling well. And I said, look, conserve your energy. I'd rather have you preach on Sunday. We can handle Christmas Eve. Enjoy your family and try to get better. Then I talked to her Christmas night and she was literally wheezing on the phone. And I said, you need to go to the hospital. And so she went to the hospital Saturday morning and she had a blood transfusion and they did a breathing treatment. Unfortunately, they should have kept her, really. And literally, as we were having service last Sunday, she had respiratory failure and cardiac arrest. She died on Monday. 
But she had such a hunger and a thirst for the Lord. And such a hunger and a thirst for His Word. And bringing His Word to life for us. And bringing His Word into her life. And applying it to her life and to our lives. And that's what biblical wisdom is. And today the reading is about the wise men. And what it means to be biblically wise. A wise man. A wise woman. And sometimes we misunderstand what wisdom is. Biblical wisdom is different from the world's wisdom. And even the myths around the wise men. And so I want to start off by talking about the wise men and what we really know about the wise men and what are the myths out there. Because there's a lot of myths out there. The first is that there are three wise men. You know, most of the nativity scenes you see have how many wise men? Three. We have three back there. In fact, seeing that crash back there and seeing the creches we have around our house reminded me, six years ago, <clears throat> I began my sabbatical. I had a three-month sabbatical, and it was a great gift to be able to go on the sabbatical. But I began my sabbatical by worshiping over at Christ Church in Savannah. It's actually the parish that Nathan Bistis came to us from. Mark Robertson was a really good friend of mine. And he said, hey, if you're looking for an assistant, you've got to check, check out a guy who's a member of my parish, this guy Nathan Bistis. And I reluctantly checked him out. And we got Nathan. But anyway, I went to church my first Sunday off. Meredith and I went over to church to uh, Mark Robertson's parish. And he was doing a children's sermon, which is kind of fun to do, and kind of like you don't have to do a lot of pre-planning. And so he was doing a sermon, and apparently they were doing a series on the crash. And as Advent was rolling along, they were putting the crash together. So they did one on the shepherds, and they did one on the different parts that go into making the crash. And on Christmas, they put the baby Jesus in. So on uh, that particular Sunday... They were putting the wise men in for that Sunday to think about Epiphany. And so Mark had hidden the wise men. So he had the children following him around the church looking for the wise men. So he was going out into the congregation and they were walking down the center aisle and Mark points to me and he says, there's a wise man. And then he gets a little closer to me and he says, oh, my mistake, that's a wise guy. Now, I don't mind being a wise guy. But I want to be a wise man. Biblically speaking. But we need to dispel the myths first. And one of the myths about the wise men is that there's just three. We don't know how many there were. And the reason that they associate that there's three is that there's gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that there were three gifts. And there's a wonderful tradition or significance to the three. 
The first is the gold. And you know, people attach different significance to the different gifts. Gold, the fact that, you know, he's a king. But I think the, the gifts were tremendously practical gifts for this new young family. Especially knowing what was going to happen to them. They were about to flee to Egypt. Joseph was a carpenter. He probably wasn't able to take all of his tools with him. He certainly wasn't going to take his wood with him. They were going to have to flee in haste. He didn't have any clientele set up in Egypt. And so they were going to need to have some means while they were there and possibly able to set up a small shop while he was there. Gold was a very practical gift for their needs. And God knew that. Frankincense. You know, again, because he had a priestly office and to worship him, but also because they would worship. And myrrh because he would suffer, but also because probably as a kid he would have cuts and bruises and he would need it for himself. Very practical gifts for a young family, as well as gifts that signify his office of king and priest and suffering servant. So they have a dual purpose in many ways. But we don't know how many wise men there were. Secondly, that these guys, these wise men, were astrologers. Not astronomers, astrologers. So they used the stars as their religion. And that's probably not right. In fact, they probably weren't simply astronomers even. Because in many ways, this anomaly that was going on with the stars, it wasn't normal. Some people want to make it Halley's comment that was going across the sky. Well, why did it settle over Bethlehem if it was a comet? It was an anomaly. So something was different and they knew it. We'll get to that. Most likely, these men were students of the Scriptures because of Daniel being in the court of the Persians and the Medes or the Babylonians. But nevertheless, the Scriptures, because of the Babylonian captivity and the exile of the Jews back in 586, the Scriptures were there. And when they were there with their studies, these magi, it wasn't all about magic, it was about studying. And the Scriptures were a part of their studies. And they unearthed some Scriptures that somehow they took to heart. So it wasn't about astrology or simply astronomy. Something. Someone. They saw signs in creation and the Holy Spirit moved in their hearts and they said, we have to go on this journey that cost them an enormous amount of time and resources. And they weren't kings. You know, the, the song that we, many of us, love at this time of year, We Three Kings of Orient Are, they get it wrong twice. 
There weren't three and they weren't kings. So they're the myths. These men were wise because they pursued the clues that they got from creation. Romans 1 says who God is and His desire for us is evident in creation so they're all without excuse. So they took the clues of creation. They took the Holy Spirit moving in their hearts and in their minds. They took the clues of Scripture. Jesus says in John 5, when He's confronting the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures because in it you believe. That God reveals who He is. And that's right, but you miss it. These guys did not miss it. Because they had wisdom. God's wisdom revealed by the Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training with righteousness. So the man of God is equipped for every good work. These men were equipped for God's working in their lives. Scripture, the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit moving in these men. And so they took from Numbers 24, reference to the star. And they took from Jeremiah 23, reference to this promised Messiah. And they took from Micah chapter 5, the reference to Bethlehem. And they put it together and they followed the star and they eventually would find the Messiah. That's what they took. The prophecies of Scripture. What was revealed in creation. The anomaly of the star. And the movement of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And they would find the Messiah. By contrast... Let's look at King Herod. By contrast, let's look at the religious leaders of the day. You know, some of you know this, some of you don't know this. Herod was a Jew. Herod built the temple. Herod was a liar. Herod was a killer. Herod moved in secret. There was no integrity or transparency to his life. Herod was about Herod. Herod would have some of his family killed because he was so paranoid about his position. And he said he wanted to worship. He had no interest in worship. The religious leaders paid lip service to the prophecies because, once again, they were about themselves. There was envy, there was jealousy, there was anger, there was rage. There was no interest in the biblical prophecies. That's the world. That's the world's wisdom. That's the world's application. That's the contrast to what the wise men were really all about. Because it's not what they expected. It's not what they wanted. Look what it says of Herod. He acted in secret. 
All the city was in uproar, but not because they wanted the Messiah. Because they didn't want this kind of Messiah. This kind of king. So what was the difference? What was the result in both? The result in the wise men. I mentioned this on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Joy. They were overjoyed. There was a joy in their spirit. They had given up months, if not years of their time. They had given up wealth. They gave lavish gifts. And the result was joy. Not because they discovered this great king in a palace. This royalty. A baby in a manger. A young child. And they knew. They knew. Because of the peace in their hearts. Filled with joy. They worshipped. They worshipped. You know, when you really come to know the Lord, there is a longing in your spirit, not only to seek Him in His Word, but to worship. You want to worship. Daily on your own. On Sundays with other people. If not more. There's a longing to worship. You want to be with His people in song, in prayer. And you go out of your way. God forbid you should be inconvenienced. You know what I mean? Because you want to seek Him. That's the transformation. You want to seek Him. That's what these men did. They sought Him. That's what the shepherds did. And Mary and Joseph were inconvenienced because they wanted the joy. They wanted the peace. They longed to worship. And they pursued. And the Holy Spirit spoke to all of them. You know, I think at one point the wise men took Herod at their word, at his word. You know, after they found him, they were going to go back and report, but they were open to the movement, the speaking of the Holy Spirit. Warned them, don't go back to him. He's lying. So they went back by another way. And what was the result with Herod? He was enraged and he killed again. He killed again. He didn't want any competition for himself being the king. And that's the way the world's wisdom operates. I'm going to operate as king of my own life. I'm going to call the shots. I don't want anybody else competing for me as Lord of my life. It's the world's wisdom. where we want to seek to continually be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, it's really interesting, it's really fascinating, because when you really see the difference between worldly wisdom and God's wisdom, you know. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul speaks of worldly wisdom and God's wisdom. 
and the contrast of the two. If you have your pew Bible, turn to... Steve, did you take my Bible? Thanks. I appreciate that. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Page 1,038. There's a wonderful section on the wisdom of God contrasted with the wisdom of man. And this isn't the only place. Proverbs, the whole book of Proverbs, is a contrast of the world's wisdom versus God's wisdom. For the message about the cross, the cross is the central and key thing. The manger is the beginning, but the cross is the key. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Notice, I said this on Christmas. Jesus was born in a manger, but he was born for the cross. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is worldly wisdom. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? This is the religious leaders. Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation, the gospel, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Jesus who came in weakness as a child, as a baby. Jesus who went to the cross in weakness, crucified. You know, it's amazing. Study. Look at how the Pharisees and the Sadducees would put Jesus down, test him constantly. When Peter and John went to the temple early on in the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 4, they're referred to as uneducated men. Put down again. Over and over. See, if we would be wise, we would be fools for Christ. It's not a bad thing to be. Because the wise men who sought him were the first ones. You know, there's a wonderful story written by Henry Van Dyke called The Other Wise Man. Anybody ever read it or heard of it? It's a wonderful story. And I invite you to read that at some point this week. So you don't forget, read it this week. It's a short story. And I invite especially those of you that are chronically late. Because the other wise men missed the caravan, which is why he's called the other wise man. But the other wise man missed the caravan, and so when he showed up, Jesus was already gone. They had fled to Egypt. And so he tried to find Jesus in Egypt and he couldn't find him. And then he went back to the Holy Land and couldn't find him because they moved to Nazareth. And the story goes on and on. 
that he just could not find Jesus. And all along the way, all the money that he had saved up, all the gifts that he had saved up, he spends not only in his travels, but in the 30 years that lapsed. But he also does kind acts along the way. I'm telling you the story, but you still need to read it. Down to the very end, all he has left is a pearl of great value. Sounds like one of Jesus' parables. And he wanted to give that, but he ends up, I don't tell you. But he finds Jesus at the crucifixion. And he thinks it's all for naught. What a great time to find Jesus at the cross. Because you think you understand when you find him at the manger. But you really understand when you find him at the cross. And just as he gives up his last treasure, he hears the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because he had spent everything finding Christ at the cross and doing kind acts along the way. That's wisdom. It's all about seeking Him and finding Him at the cross. It's not about a king in a palace. It's about a baby in a manger and a Savior on a cross. It's about sacrificing everything you have to find Him. That's wisdom. That's what Martha lived for and gave her life for. Would that we were all wise men and wise women. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. The witness of the wise men and the witness of the wise woman that you gave us for a season, Martha. We thank you for the season of epiphany. The word means reveal or manifest. That you gave your son Jesus, manifested to the wise men, to the Gentiles, for the world, for us. Lord, help us to come to know him more and more, that we might be your wise men and wise women today, and that we might reveal him, the baby at the manger, the Savior at the cross, our Savior and our Lord, and that we might be filled with joy and worship Him. And we pray this in His precious name, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.